The Swamp Without a Still is just a tent, a martini without olives doesn't quite make it, and Mash Minute is intended for mature audiences. Put on your headphones, listen for the tone of your favorite podcast, Mash Minute. Well, it's a minute-by-minute detailed analysis of the movie without which the series wouldn't exist. Megan and Tierney, and guest will make three. Goddamn Army, MASH Minute. Welcome to MASH Minute, where we analyze the 1970 Robert Altman film one minute at a time. I'm Megan Coleman. I'm Tierney Steele. And I'm Father David Mowry, a Roman Catholic priest from the Diocese of Joliet in Illinois. And well, the by Minutes community. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, I also serve as the, the chaplain for the Movies by Minutes community. I think I have about as much success as Father Mulcahy does. Oh. <laughs> Funny and sad at the same time. <laughs> Beforeish and harmless. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. So today we have kidnapped you to talk about Father Mulcahy, specifically to talk about Minute 18, which starts with a fishing lure being tied and ends with Radar informing Colonel Blake of how busy they are. Well, actually, we, we don't have Mulcahy yet, but I promise we will get there. Well, I'll He's believe just it around when the I corner. see it. I, I could not have the priest that I could invite to be on this podcast and not give you Mulcahy minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. But we'll get to him. Yeah. We'll get we'll to him. We'll get to him. First... Does anyone know anything about fishing? Um, do you know, funny enough, in middle school, we had a fly fishing club that <gasps> met during, like, study hall, and I was the only girl who went. <laughs> uh, all right, so you can give us the detailed analysis of this lure that the colonel I, I, is making. I, I, I wish, but, uh. um, yeah, I just learned how to do ties. I couldn't do it today if you put the supplies in front of me. I would just be like, well, I think you do this, and you put some feathers, and you tie some string and you know it was kind of fun though but i never actually fished did you take turns being the nurse who would hand the surgical tools to (laughs) making the tie no not really oh i love the surgeon speak (laughs) it was like the shop teacher was just like i think he just liked doing it and he thought people should learn how to do it and he was just like yeah so uh here's how we do it and you'd watch him for a long time and they'd be like okay you can maybe do it now I love the romanticism of fishing. I, I just, I get so <laughs> tired of the actual details of it. You know, the image of the fisherman out there with the, the fly fishing rod and casting over the water and standing in the still misty air of early morning. But the reality is that you've been out there for hours and you've caught nothing and you're starting to think that maybe there's a leak in your galoshes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nah, it's just yeah. not for me. Fly fishing never held any appeal. I mean, I fished off a dock, but not, not actually, not, not for real. I certainly never had to make any lures. Um, Megan, if it's any consolation in middle school, one year I was in a after-school pog club just Ooh, to date yeah. myself. Wow. Yeah, I was also Ultimately. in a pog club, too. And they had the machine <laughs> to make them, so I have pogs <gasps> with like, my pictures on them. Holy yeah. smokes. It was, it was a good time, oh. but it was... Man, it was 1995. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
And for you youngins who are like, what are they talking about? We'll put something up in the in the post-op board so well, you can see. I was not see. cool enough for the pog club at my school. Oh, man. Pogs. My mom told me I had to get involved. It wasn't going to be sports at that point, so. Pog club it was. I got pogs as a gift for my first communion. There were we had we had there was a God pog there was a Jesus pog there were a couple of cr- different kinds of crosses on the pogs. But wait, what was the slammer? Uh boy, the, I, what I remember it was a black plastic with sort of that holographic red kind of mm-hmm. pattern sticker on the top. I don't remember what it said now because I never played it. It's just one of the things where I think a well-meaning relative or aunt gave it, like, oh, here, this is what the kids are into. Like, great, what do I do with mm-hmm. these? <laughs> cardboard discs. Well, well, you slam them. Like, well, but why? <laughs> can I watch because you can. <laughs> because jacks are out. Pogs <laughs> are in. It's the same game. Or marble. Whatever your uh, cultural touchstone is. <laughs> the kids will find a way. And speaking of finding a way, no, I I love Blake's surgeon speak because I feel like that happens, at least with librarianship, there are terms (laughs) you're so used to that you use them and the the lay people get confused. They're like, what's ILL? And you're like, oh, interlibrary loan? We borrow it from another library? Yeah. I didn't even think of that. When I refer to OPAX. Oh, yeah, that's another one. Online catalog. Yep. For short. Yeah. Yeah. Or Mark. OCLC, WorldCat. Oh, yeah. Actually, um, Even though when I thought Mark I was going to convince you guys to go to Venice with me, I was going to make one of the things of like, <laughs> all right, it's a librarian trip. You can come if you have a favorite Mark joke. <laughs> oh, okay. So for it. those who are like, don't know what Mark is, <laughs> it's a 60 standard that stands for what? Machine accessible readable content, I think. And the, la- right. the lady who came up with it is known as Mom, Mother of Mark. Because we love acronyms, right? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness, we do. And uh, it's basically like a cataloging <laughs> record that really needs to be updated because, again, <laughs> um, and I feel like I feel like since we were in grad school, they're talking about, oh, yeah, Mark's going to go out soon. It's still around. Yeah, but it's they've been saying that. Probably since the 80s. Since the 70s. Yeah. 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 We are in a profession where there is a Katherine Hepburn movie in which she's making the same arguments that I debated while in grad school. This is true. So it moves So you'd say library science moves slowly, like the Catholic Church. We take our time to change with the times. Just to weigh our me. options. Get where I was sure. going with it. Yeah. 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 And then you you toss out terms and your friends that are Protestant are just like, whoa, whoa what just happened? <laughs> I try to be yeah. careful with the lingo because it can it's so easy to slip into that professional can't as as Blake does here with this. Now, what I was thinking when I was watching this. So for us being inundated with shows like Grey's Anatomy and House and all the other medical dramas, this kind of thing where the doctor is using medical language in a non-medical setting. That's just standard for us in 1970. Was this a big joke? Was this a piercing comedic insight or had they been doing something like this on General Hospital, which I know was on TV ever since Moses came down the mountain? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about a piercing joke, but I think it would have been a lot less common because you didn't have medical dramas like Mm -hmm. you do today. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of um, who did Elaine May do her comedy with? Um, Um, 
that John Mulaney quotes all the time. I oh. think the cover. And I know the girl is Elaine May, but I can't remember the guy's name. But they do a, a doctor-nurse routine. And so okay. there would have been those jokes, but... Mike Nichols. Mike Nichols. Nichols and May, yes. It's like, how much does that saturate the the culture? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think this is definitely supposed to be very character-building <laughs> for Blake. <laughs> We get we get a, a sense that even the commanding officer of this base isn't exactly doing things according to Hoyle. No, and he's he's career army. Right. In the TV show, he's not, but in this movie and in the book, he is a career army doctor, army surgeon. Yeah. Mm. And so then that's why he's raised to colonel and has run this. So, is it wrong? It's it is wrong, but it's kind of <laughs> sweet that he's found someone who. Who can assist their their cute couple in this moment? <laughs> it's about to get ruined by uh, guys barging in, so I just wanted to give them this uh, moment together, where it's like they found each other in the chaos of a universe. <laughs> He's got someone who gets it who now. Gets it. Might not be fulfilling for her to be handing him things one setting, another setting, but well, everyone takes care of Blake in this movie. Radar mm. takes care of Blake. Leslie takes care of Blake. He just sort of bumbles his way through leading this field hospital. Mm. Very rarely is he seen as the one who's really in charge. Yeah, it's funny. For an anti-authority movie, there isn't much authority. <laughs> <laughs> There's just the I would say that's what, exactly what makes it anti-authority. <laughs> Uh, the, the, the people in authority are shown to be buffoons and foolish more than our heroes, like Hawkeye and Duke. Yes, but I, I'm thinking of, um, I, like, comparing it to Animal House, where you've got the Dean and the oh, ROTC, and, like, there are these figures that are lampooned. Right, right, right. <laughs> Wink. Um, but, oh, I get it. But because here, it's there isn't lampoon. even anyone being ridiculous. <laughs> Which I guess is what... Burns and Hulahan are here for. Yeah. Um, and Volmer to some extent. We see mm. Volmer in this minute and he gets a first name and he is very by the book. Volmer is really sweet Volmer is just trying his best. <laughs> <laughs> he's again completely ineffectual. <laughs> he's the guy in the front. Yeah. He's where playing... radar sits. Yeah, <laughs> he's... He's, he's playing the game. He wants to advance. He wants to make this a career. He wants to get where Blake is eventually. He wants to be mm. in charge of a base somewhere, and he figures that the best way to do that is to do everything by the book and to be that pain in the neck for everyone else on the base who is trying to cope with the horrors of war in a very different way. Wade does not see it that way. No. <laughs> and it's no. one of my favorite. I'm going to start saying this. What, when he's like, you can't go in there. Um, Hawkeye says, that's who we're looking for, babe. <laughs> Yeah, he uses babe a lot. He does. Oh, it's so 60s. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) We're developing character. He says babe. He sits on chairs backwards. He's a rebel, Dottie. Mm. Oh, yes. (laughs) Does not take his hat off in the presence of the commanding officer. No. Not so much. Before we get too much into the boys, I wanted to point out the x-rays up against the window. I was looking around Mm. at Blake's office while we had a moment of peace. But I can't really tell what the x-rays are supposed to be. Later on, you get a good shot of the one that's uh, backstage the most. It looks like it's an x-ray of a pelvis and spine. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I guess I can kind of see that. The yeah. one in the middle of the window it kind of looks like a skull to me. 
It's not. It's not a chest X-ray. That would. That would be the yeah. most stereotypical doctor thing to have up there. Yeah. This is a but much more no nonsense office than so any of the ones we see on the show. Whose X-rays are those? That's a very good question. <laughs> who, who does whose X-rays are so important that the colonel has to keep them up on his window in the office? I want to say that these are the x-rays of Blake's patients, because he is a surgeon, Mm -hmm. who are waiting to be ready for something. Because Leslie is saying at the beginning, you know, we've got so-and-so, so many on Mm -hmm. antibiotics, so many on IV. And so maybe these are surgery, you know, he will be performing a surgery later on that person, but they're trying to get his plasma up or something. Okay. Before they do the surgery to um, make them more stable. That's why he has time to make a fishing lure. That is my theory. Okay. And, and anytime I've gone in for any surgery or medical procedure, it's like, here's the time you need to be here. Enjoy your three-hour wait. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> There's a lot of hurry up and waiting in the medical world. Yes. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. yeah. <laughs> and then they always come over right as you've realized you forgot to set your fantasy baseball lineup before you went under, <laughs> so you're frantically trying to get the app to load even though the Wi-Fi connection is bad. I hate when that happens. <laughs> yeah, I made time. a real bad impression on that doctor. <laughs> He's just oh. like, hi, I'm here. He's like, do you want to be paying attention to this? I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> just, just, one, just one second. I have to figure out Ariadna's stats. <laughs> It is um, a very official office, though. A very bare bones, just mm-hmm. what you need. But there's, it's also got that accumulation of scavenged stuff. You know, I'm looking at the file cabinets as Duke and Hawkeye walk in. You just got this mismatch, mismatch of all these different drawers and cabinets and little cubby holes, just whatever you can find to cobble together to make some semblance of organization. Mm-hmm. Seems very true to what you would expect a field hospital office to look like, with the table made out of the plywood and sawhorses, even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would make me so happy if we ever got a full-length shot and could see that the floor is uneven, so the filing cabinets are propped up with rolls of masking tape, which is what we had to do in our summer office at camp, or um, oh, wow. old log books. Back before there were walkie-talkies, we used to have to keep, like, physical logbooks. What? And the really old ones were wedged under (laughs) the filing cabinets cumulatively. So, because you can't have those on a slant. (laughs) Of course Um, not. Because the drawers drawers would roll out, so... (laughs) So yeah, that would make me very happy if you ever saw the bottom of a filing cabinet and it was, you know, balanced on something. But yeah, he's got, you know, the nails in the wall for hooks for his jackets mm-hmm. and the the one picture hung up and that's it. I couldn't quite make out what that picture is on the window. It looks you know, it looks like you've got maybe a lake scene there. Maybe it's a fisherman picture. Oh. I was guessing it's a picture of his wife. But I could not make could it out. Could be. I, it's so it's so fuzzy. I can't quite make it out. Maybe yeah. it's a picture of his wife fishing, uh, combining his two great loves. <laughs> <laughs> That's sweet. I like that. Let's pretend it's that. Even if, it's not. if it isn't that, I don't want to know. <laughs> we are making it so. We are inscribing it into the mash cannon. Look, this isn't me being rude. Robert Altman has passed. He's not. He can't correct me. So. <laughs> Duke's hound dogness has spread to Hawkeye <laughs> as he compliments Blake's girlfriend to Blake in front of Blake. Like, what? As if she's not there. 
Uh, so, uh. Father, welcome to Objectification Minute, where we analyze the 1970 movie and all that that entails. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and it's so frustrating because, at the same time, they're doing such a good job. Like, Donald Sutherland has so completely slipped into this smooth Hawkeye in control role, mm-hmm. and Tom Skerritt does an awesome little bit of busyness in the back making the coffee and... It just, it's very frustrating. <laughs> they are so, pro- so very problematic. <laughs> Yay, 1970. Yeah, but well, Blake kind of, Blake doesn't really like acknowledge it too much either. It's by like, the time he realizes what's going on, Leslie has left. She has left the building. She's like, peace out. And he's like telling them, I've been in army a long time. Don't try to pull your crap. <laughs> Given how these guys operate, I would almost think it's a tactic for them to get Blake off balance. Oh. Throw in some compliments about Leslie, get him flustered, and that makes him easier just to say yes to whatever it is they need from him. That's a good point, because anytime he does have to interact with Leslie in front of other people, except for one notable exception, he (laughs) does get flustered. You're right. Like, anytime he's, like, walking in the compound with her. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, I like that. Now, they've only been here like a week, but still, I... Oh, come on. Duke I and Hawkeye, they're two of the brightest bulbs in this field hospital. <laughs> they, picked, they picked up on that day one. I like it. I also now, like it's still terrible objectification, but... Yes, yes. <laughs> As Leslie is leaving, she sets the rotor blades of that helicopter model spinning, and I just wanted to call attention to it because... That helicopter is, like, trying to earn its SAG card in this movie. Just keep an eye on it anytime we're in Blake's office. (laughs) Blake is a man of many hobbies. He keeps himself busy whenever he's not doing his job, building models of helicopters. He's tying lures. I like the idea that he keeps his his hands busy. I really wish I had said that before you had it, Leslie. Um... The, the the idea of the fine work involved in, in making lures or building models. That's well, sure, it makes sense. Your that, surgeons yeah. have to have yeah. steady hands. I would make a terrible surgeon because my hands shake. And so it would make sense that the hobbies of a surgeon would make use of those skills, tying lures and building model kits, which are small and finicky. I actually struggle with fine motor skills. And to that to fix that, my parents bought me Lego sets when I was a kid. Because I'd struggle so much with manipulating small objects. They figured, well, if we give them a bunch of Legos, first it keeps them quiet and keeps them in the basement, keeps them (laughs) out of our hair, but also gives them a chance to build up those fine motor skills. I did not become a brilliant surgeon as perhaps they had hoped, but uh, they're they're pretty pleased that I'm in the priesthood. They got over it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) They did. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's a really great chance for me to ask my question that Megan is probably sick of me asking our guests, but I love it so much of someone once discussing this movie, well, they were discussing the movie, but they talked about the show too, said, everyone in America can do two minutes on what MASH meant in their lives. <laughs> so did you watch this growing up? Had you seen the movie before? The first time I saw this movie was about a month and a half ago when I was preparing right. for my appearance on the show here. So the episodes that we were doing are going to be the two minutes that MASH meant in my life. It meant that I got to talk with two <laughs> lovely people, uh, Tyranny and Megan, for uh, several minutes, about several minutes of the uh, the movie MASH. It, it really, uh, 
I don't know if it was just a generational thing or what, but by the time I was being raised, MASH was off the air. It Mm -hmm. had gone off the air by the time I was born. And I think my parents had, had only seen the TV show, and they weren't big fans of it. At least it was not something they talked about a lot. They were aware of it culturally, mm-hmm. but it was just a TV show for them. It was, it was nothing particularly uh, special or important. Other things that I was introduced to, Star Wars, Back to the Future, Monty Python, those were things that they were really into that they wanted to hand on to their kids. MASH was not one of those. Fair enough. Yeah, it was off the air <laughs> I was born too, a little bit. So, But I, I found it in reruns, so I was that weird kid running around in our generation being like, have you seen this show? <laughs> yeah. And then I found Megan, so it worked out. <laughs> it was meant to be. <laughs> in our tent. <laughs> in our tent, yeah, a.k.a. I, I... our door hall. <laughs> yeah. well, Wait, who home. else brings DVDs to grad school? We yeah. do. <laughs> All good. All good. I do love how Blake picks up on your tent. Yeah. Because it's not yeah. their tent; it's Burns' tent. <laughs> but now, all of a sudden, it's their tent. Yep. And we're gonna see. They they have it. Mm-hmm. It was instantaneous, almost. Oh, I missed. I, I forgot this line was before the R tent thing. This is my chance. This is a chance. Sky pilot. Do 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 do. I learned a new song. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I went looking for the origin of the term sky pilot and discovered Eric Burden and the Animals 1968 sky pilot. Now, sky pilot is such a common term in the army for someone who's super religious. Or the... Like... I don't think Altman, like, was like, that song, we gotta have a reference to it. I'm sure this is just the slang they used, but, uh, 1968, 1969, 1970, here we are, and, yeah, it's a really good song. Y'all should Google it. (laughs) I did not know that was military slang for a religious person. I didn't either. That makes so much sense. I thought Burns was someone from the Air Force who had ended up in the Army unit. Oh, oh yeah, I thought no, it was because he was just out there. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a, um, the, the pilot in the sky up with the big man. Mm. <laughs> Let me look up just to make oh. sure I'm not, like, completely misrepresenting that. Because <laughs> well, if it was something like Space Cadet, that I know. Mm. Yeah, slang, a chaplain in one of the military services. Huh. And so then, basically, they're calling Burns a wannabe sky pilot. <laughs> okay. Because he acts like he's the preacher, even though he is not. <laughs> that position is filled. <laughs> and I, well, I will admit, well, if yes. I had to bunk with Burns, I would also find his religiosity a bit grating. He's very sanctimonious about it. Am I using that Ooh, word? Excellent word? use of sanctimonious. Ah. Yes. <laughs> Thumbs up. Very nice. <laughs> Well, it's, it's a very tense situation, and everyone, of course, is going to deal with it in different ways. Mm-hmm. And the the religious expression, the way Byrne gives it, that's good as far as it goes. But, yeah, he has to be cognizant of the fact that he's sharing this living space with two other surgeons who are likewise very stressed out and mm-hmm. under a lot of pressure in this very difficult situation. 
And, of course, that sword cuts both ways. I would like to see also a little more understanding from Duke <laughs> and Hawkeye in this situation. But this being a movie from 1970, organized religion does not come off smelling like a rose in this They're movie. They're also crummy roommates. <laughs> they are pretty bad roommates. <laughs> Let's just they, accept that. They need, they need someone who thinks exactly like they do in order yes. to get along with them. That's something that was picked up on in this podcast I was listening to where it was someone, I think born in 1968, was saying he was surprised by how much the audience was expected to side with Hawkeye and Duke. Hmm. And it wasn't until he was looking back at like the rise of the religious right in the 80s that it's like, oh, yeah, that... That would have been considered like a very small pocket of the country mm-hmm. where they wouldn't have encountered someone like that before mm-hmm. going to Presbyterian Church in Maine or whatever religion Hawkeye was raised as. Because they're uh, Hawkeye and Duke are both Protestant. Although I wanted to throw out, I totally didn't catch up on it because Duke mentions, you know, oh, I've never seen this in someone beyond the age of eight, and that's the age of First Communion. Mm-hmm. Duke, being a good old Southern boy from Georgia, I'm gonna guess not Catholic. I Probably could not. be wrong. I could be wrong. I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> but I want to look up the script of this film and see who wrote that line in. Because I'm pretty sure, wasn't Altman Catholic? Oh, I don't know. Yes. Yes. Robert Altman. Well, the Altman family was Catholic. Okay. Knew I'd read that. Sorry, I have to, like, confirm it before I put it out there into the world. Fair enough. But he was raised Catholic. So if that line wasn't in there, I wonder if that came from him. Where it's just like, yeah, the age of eight. Well, this is all based off of the memoirs of Army Surgeon from the Korean War, so mm-hmm. I wonder if it came from the the original memoir. Oh, I know. I'm trying to remember in the book if they mention well, specifically the book is even more if, if Duke, you know, sacrilegious than well, this movie. Yes, I know so. that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Holy but smokes. Like, like there's a there's a there's a Protestant chaplain in, in the book as well. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, I just want to go on record, <laughs> even though it's not Sunday yet. I'm real sorry I made you watch this movie. I hope you enjoyed some of it. <laughs> I, I'm feeling real guilty about sending this movie to you now look. with no background on it. <laughs> hey, it, it's a movie. It's certainly part of American culture. It's an important piece of the countercultural movement that came out of the late 1960s. And I think there are some definite attitudes about authority and organized religion that persist into 2019 that were in nascent form in 1970. So it's it's important cultural research. Yeah, there, there were some parts where I was glad that my mother didn't walk in on me watching the movie. <laughs> but... Uh, Oh. I, I did mention to uh, my parents like, oh yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be on this Mash Minute podcast and we, and uh, watching the movie. And my mom said, I don't know if that's a movie a Catholic priest should be watching. <laughs> like, oh good, oh, I'm looking forward to this now. Thanks, mom. <laughs> I didn't think this through. <laughs> hey, when you got a priest in the movie, I, I <laughs> what else can and you I do? Mean- when, when I found out I was having a boy, I argued for naming him William Christopher. <laughs> so name. I feel pretty strongly about the awesomeness of Father Mulcahy as a character. 
I cannot find something telling me what Richard Hornberger's religion was. So I will leave that for another day and stop my distracted Googling. Left to speculate. Left to speculate. I love this bit of business between Blake and the two doctors. Oh, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to push me around. Like, oh, no, Henry, no. No. no, no, no. We'd never do that. But while you mentioned, there is something else I want to talk to you about. That That's very good. It's so good. <laughs> and I, I love Duke, like, miming things in the background with a coffee pot to <laughs> encourage Hawkeye. You could do it. <laughs> this probably, speaking, we're back to the medical speak. I'm pretty sure MASH, the show, not the movie, is where I realized I don't know when I learned chest cutter meant thoracic surgeon. I've just always known it <laughs> because mm. of because of, well, Hawkeye in the show and Trapper John in this movie. <laughs> yeah, in the early stages of this minute, I thought, was that a piece of equipment? Because they used the, the phrase A1, chest cutter. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I figured, oh, is that a particular brand or a particular <laughs> kind of chest cutter? And like, God, it, it is Korea. That would be tough to get that all the way out. Oh, it's a person. Oh. No. Yeah, I've always known it. It was a major bone of contention on the show because they oh. made Hawkeye the chest cutter. Mm. And the person playing Trapper John was just sitting there like, Excuse you. <laughs> I, I, I was specifically requested. I'm important. Where's, what's my specialty? Uh, appendix side. That's, uh, <laughs> that's, that's what we need you for, Trapper John. Get that appendix out of there. Aww. I mean, for now, no unit in Korea is getting a chest cutter. <laughs> no, there's no way. There's no way. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. I mean, Colonel, Colonel Blake, he's the kind of guy, he puts his foot down, and you know, that's the end of the discussion. There's no persuading him later. Oh, no, definitely. No. <laughs> not, not in the next minute, certainly. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> no. I, I have a question. So at the very yes. end, we see Radar come in to inform the colonel about the situation in the OR and the pre-op ward. What is Wade doing with that switchboard? He is pulling I... all of the connections out at once. <laughs> <laughs> Um, um, well, you see, well, there was this lovely man named David Arkin, and he wanted to be in movies. <laughs> and he got cast by this guy named Robert Altman. Uh-huh, go on. Who I'm sure said, look busy. <laughs> well, he does a good job. I just, I, I noticed that bit of business <laughs> as Radar was kind of like, wait, wait a minute, that is not how a switchboard operates. I'm pretty sure it's not connected to anything, e- like, it's just... <laughs> There may or may not be helicopters coming. (laughs) This is something Blake has given him to keep busy. Mm. Oh, see if you can get a connection on that switchboard. Yeah, it's it's been spotty lately. It's not even plugged in. Nothing's working. (laughs) Plugging everything into everywhere and unplugging everything. It's uh, Colonel. I can't get it to work. Oh well, you just keep on it. (laughs) Now we have URL checks for that. (laughs) I need you to see if these links work. (laughs) Did you? Cool. They might have broken. Start again at the top of the list. Oh. We're totally gonna make you come back for the next minute because Well you did kidnap we... me and you know I'm these ropes are very comfortable. I appreciate the, the skill used in tying them, so I'm happy to be here for the for the next minute. Yeah, when Megan said she didn't remember, it was all a lie. <laughs> a little facade it's for the secret. listeners. It's a secret. <laughs> Yep, so uh, I'm Tierney Steele. I have kidnapped a priest and made him watch MASH. <laughs> Not sure uh, where that ha- puts me in the good place point system. <laughs> 
but I, when I'm not talking about MASH, I'm commenting probably too much on various listener societies all over Facebook because I love Movies by Minutes podcasts so much that I've done them before and I'm doing them again. I co-hosted <laughs> The NeverEnding Minute about The NeverEnding Story, Return to Oz Minute, and I'm working on Joe versus the Volcano Minute or Joe versus the Minute. I'm not sure where we've landed on that. I think it probably depends on how many characters you get on things. Um, so you can find me all over the interwebs, but obviously including the post-up board that we mentioned post where card. we will post things after the episode. Ah, uh, get it? Get it? <laughs> Pause. Oh, because post is like, oh, I get like it. The post-up board. Yeah. Post-up. Post-up. <laughs> Got to post up. Oh, it's a basketball thing. It's a different post. <laughs> we don't know if this Mulcahy plays basketball. Anyway, anyway. Um, <laughs> I will stop comparing the movie MASH to the television show MASH, but only for today. I'll be back tomorrow. 